I'd like to invite you now to open your Bibles to the text that Sherry read uh, a little bit ago, Acts chapter 3, verses 11 through 26. This is the second sermon that we find in the book of Acts. And we're going to look at Peter's sermon uh, after the healing of the lame beggar. With your Bible's open, let me pray one more time. Father, thank you for this beloved church. Thank you for their love for you and for their love for your word. Thank you for their partnership in the gospel. In stepping up and being a part of what you are doing through your word around the globe. And we pray now, and I pray for your mercy and grace to clearly communicate your word and that you would give us ears to hear, ears of faith, um, to believe, to accept, to be transformed by your word as it points to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen. When we talk about sharing the word of God and taking action, as has um, been mentioned here in the book of Acts, many of us struggle, have a hard time sharing the gospel boldly and clearly. I do. Uh, if I'm sharing the gospel with someone or, or want, or in a relationship or friendship with someone who doesn't um, believe in Christ yet, many times it's a, it's a temptation to beat around the bush and say many generic, uh, broad things and never get right to it. Uh, last week, as Billy uh, preached through the, the story leading up to this sermon, um, as Peter and John enter into the temple and they see the line, uh, the lame beggar there uh, asking for alms as they're going up to pray. And he had found, what was it, the right spot, right? Um, and Peter and John were sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And they were fishing for men. And they called to him and healed him in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. So they were there. They stepped forward. They stood and went after to preach the gospel, to, to be used by God in the life of that man. But many times when we are trying or, or want to be used by God, we have a hard time sharing the gospel boldly. Why? Well, many times because we prefer being liked. Peter and John, now that they healed this man, had a great opportunity to be liked. Um, everybody was going to see their power or their piety, their godliness. Many times we diminish the bad news as we share the gospel, the bad news of our sinful condition, wanting to skip quickly to the good news and we're not clear about our need for a savior. We like to talk about forgiveness, but we struggle talking about the guilt of sin. We like to talk about restoration and blessing, but not about condemnation. We like to talk about love, but sometimes not the hard truths. We like to talk about Jesus, but many times not about the bloody cross. 
as a church, many times we like attracting people to us, our events and activities, but maybe not telling people what they really need to hear. Because telling people about their sin and need to repent and turn to Christ in faith is uncomfortable. It's awkward. It's painful. We have a hard time showing up like Peter and John did, and we have a hard time speaking up like we're going to see in our sermon and our text today. So what is the message? As Peter is going to preach, as the crowds gather, what we're going to see in this text tomorrow morning, that the message, as Peter is going to explain it, Turn to the risen author of life that you may receive forgiveness and blessing. Turn to the risen author of life that you may receive forgiveness and blessing. I want you to notice Peter's approach in this sermon. First, it's going to be an indictment. He is basically going to show them what is wrong where they are far from God, where they have rejected the one um, who is the author of life. And then he is going to offer them an appeal. He's going to appeal to them to return, to turn to the author of life. So let's look at the indictment. Peter, as he begins his sermon, is going to say that the man, the lame beggar, was healed in the name of the one that you killed. Let's start reading uh, through these verses. Uh, let's get a little bit of the setting and pick up in verse 11 and 12. Please follow along in your Bible. While he, the lame beggar, who had just been healed and is um, walking and leaping and praising God, while he clung to Peter and John, all the people there in the temple, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The situation is a crowd who have just seen a miracle and they are marveling, they're astounded at Peter and John. Uh, they had just seen something that was undeniable right before their eyes. A man, uh, 40 years, born of a, a lame man who had been there. Everybody who had walked into the temple had seen him there. Maybe some of them have even given alms. And now he's, he's leaping, he's jumping, he's walking, he's praising God. People come running to see what has happened. Who did it? How did they do it? What power? What godliness? What will they perform next? People are attracted to power. We see this very clearly in Brazil uh, with a, a, a real desire for miracles and might and large, attractive ministries. Uh, and we're about an hour north of the city of Sao Paulo. And uh, right there, in, uh, near the center of Sao Paulo, there's an old uh, monastery. And about 200 years, at this, uh, 200 years ago in this monastery, there was a man called Friar Galvão. And the legend says that uh, one day, uh, a sick young man had asked him to come and visit and pray over him. And he couldn't go. So he 
wrote on a small piece of paper a prayer to the Virgin Mary, rolled it up, and told somebody to give it to him so that he could eat that little piece of paper. And the story goes that the young man ate that little paper pill and was healed. From then on, that just became this huge tradition. And to this day, actually this, was a, this guy became a, a, a saint to the Catholic Church. To this day, that monastery produces 100,000 paper pills a month to send out and people mail order them so that they can, if you swallow this paper pill, you will be healed. But it's not just among the Roman Catholics. A few blocks from there, about two and a half, um, well, less than that, about a mile or so uh, from there, there uh, two miles away, there is among the evangelicals, or so-called, also in Sao Paulo, was built a replica of Solomon's temple. A replica that seats 10,000 people. I didn't know if you knew that Solomon's temple sat 10,000 people. You know, it, does, it didn't. But this replica does, okay? And they see 10,000 people, and this is a large health and wealth um, church. And people come, and the, the building was made with stones that were brought in from Israel. So that people will come in, they will give their money, and there they are promised health, they are promised wealth, they are promised well-being, and people flock to power. These are fake miracles used to manipulate multitudes around the worship of men. Now, I imagine few here are at the risk of buying paper pills. Um, but the way that we share the gospel can be just as man-centered. It's about attracting to our ministry, to our ability, to us and not to Jesus. Peter and John had, by the work of the Holy Spirit, performed a real, legitimate miracle. But they had a very different approach. They immediately take the spotlight off of them. They say, why are you looking at us? It wasn't our power. It wasn't our piety or our godliness that did this. But I'll tell you whose it was. Let's read verses 13 through 16. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant, Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses, and his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of all. You killed the one who gives life. I want you to notice a few things as you look through these verses. 
Peter seems to pile on the titles of who Jesus is. Look back over the verses and notice, who is Jesus? He is called the glorified servant of God. Verse 13, he glorified his servant, Jesus. Now, when I, when I see him calling Jesus a servant, sometimes we might cringe a little bit, thinking, wait a minute, but Jesus is God. Yes, he is. Why is he calling him just a servant, God's servant? Well, servant here, and especially in this context, is used by Peter to identify Jesus as the suffering servant. It was a term for the Messiah prophesied from the Old Testament, especially in Isaiah. He also calls him the holy and righteous one. It was not Peter and John's godliness or holiness or righteousness. It was Christ's holiness. He is the holy one. He is the only righteous one. He is the exalted righteous servant of God. I'd like you to turn back quickly to a text you probably know very well, Isaiah 52 and 53, where we see lots of these same ideas put together. I'm just going to read a few of these verses, and maybe uh, later on we'll go back to another few. Isaiah 52. Turn there in your Bible, please. Notice what Peter's referencing here. Isaiah 52, verses 13 and 14. Say this. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted, glorified. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. He's going to go on. Let's skip forward to chapter 53, verses 10 and 11. 53, verses 10 and 11. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt He shall see his offering. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. He is identifying Christ as the prophesied servant, the Messiah, the righteous one, the one set aside by God to be afflicted for our sin and yet be exalted, glorified, risen from the dead. Going back to Acts chapter 3, he is also called the author of life. This takes us back to Genesis chapter 1, where in the creation Uh, Let there be light, and there was light. God created the heavens and the earth. Jesus is the author of life. He is our Lord. He is God. He is the originator, source of new life. Life flows from his paintbrush, from his word. And this was demonstrated in the healing of the lame man. It was Christ's power, not the apostles. He is fulfilling. He is the one who fulfills all that was expected and prophesied in the Old Testament. That's who Jesus is. But 
What did the people do with this great servant of God, the holy, righteous one, God himself incarnate, the author of life? Well, it says what they did. Only a few weeks ago, earlier than this, they denied him. They delivered him to the presence and the presence of Pilate. You have to remember, Pilate was the Roman governor who uh, always reminded the people that they were subjugated. They were under the oppression of Rome, of a foreign nation. They were not free. They were not their own nation. And yet, they delivered to him to be crucified the deliverer. The one who had been sent to save them. Peter indicts them. They had denied and killed the author of life in favor of a murder. Remember that? They asked for Barabbas, someone who had been accused of insurrection and a murderer in the place of Jesus. Just to try to get a feel of, of how horrible that was. I want you to try to think of maybe if you've ever seen a movie or, or uh, maybe in the news of some heroic rescue of an impossible situation. I don't know if, how many of you remember, uh, maybe you've watched the movie 13 Lives about the rescue in the uh, cave in Thailand uh, in 2018. You remember that? 12 uh, boys, about junior, most of them junior hires uh, from a small soccer team, along with their 25-year-old coach, uh, to celebrate the birthday of one of the kids. They went into these, this cave, um, and they went deeper and deeper in, uh, but it started raining and just a downpour, and the cave started flooding, so they had to go further in because the passageway in the, uh, uh, that they were in was flooding. There was no way back, and they went further and further into the mountain, and then there, there they were stuck. They found a small rock shelf, and the water rose, and that was it. Their flashlight batteries were running out. Their food was gone. The oxygen was running out. One day passed, two days, three days, a week, eight days, nine days. And on the ninth day, a light shone on the water. And an elite rescue diver appeared who had finally found them. And you can see the rest of the story. The, the, the rescue operation was incredible. They had to actually be sedated and taken out underwater. And they were two and a half miles into the mountain. The divers had to spend like six hours diving, uh, swimming to get there. But I want you to imagine a horrible twist to the story. Imagine if when those divers showed up, instead of feeling the relief of being rescued, those boys and their coach had attacked the diver had slashed his oxygen tube, had bashed him over the head with a rock and saying, get out of here, and murdered their rescuer. Why are you flashing this light? We can't stand this light. It's blinding us. We don't want to be sedated and taken underwater. It's too dangerous. It's scary. Get out. We're safe here. 
that is a small picture of what we did to our Savior. And I say we because even though we weren't there 2,000 years ago yelling, crucify him, crucify him, our sins prove which side we would have been on and we are on without Christ. We despised, denied, yelled crucify him. We killed the author of life. We want preeminence. We also choose a murderer instead of the giver of life. We don't want our sins exposed. We were followers of the devil, a murderer from the beginning. It should have been over right there. God would have been totally in his rights to just say, that's it. Forget it. But it wasn't. Though they denied, rejected, crucified Jesus, the Father's response was utterly different. So look again at these verses. What did God do? God raised him from the dead. Verse 15. Christ was confirmed and glorified by the Father through his resurrection and ascension. Death could not defeat the author of life. And what did Jesus do? Verse 16. Faith in his name, in the name of Jesus, gave the lame beggar perfect health. It was faith in Jesus' name that restored him. Not, and this is not a vague, mystical faith in faith. People who just have this faith that things are going to work out. Or I, I will declare by faith what I want and then I will have it. No. It is a trust in the person God the Father has designated and placed above every other name. God the Son, Jesus Christ. Actually, in the next chapter, as Peter and John are going to um, be called before uh, the Sanhedrin to give explanation of what they've done, to explain what they've done, um, Peter's going to preach again and say in Acts 4, 11, and 12, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is no one, no, is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It is by faith in Christ that there is restoration, salvation. Beloved church, we must marvel at Jesus and not at ourselves or our own ministry. Peter and John says, to this we are witnesses. We saw, we testify. That is our role. It's not about our abilities. It's not about our size. It's not about our power or our piety. It's about Jesus. It's pointing everyone to marvel at him. But to do that, Peter pointed to the reality of sin, and that is so unpopular in our days, and it's always been unpopular, to point out and indict us we crucified the author of life. There is bad news before there's good news. What are you saved 
from. We are saved from sin and rebellion against God and his Messiah. But after the indictment, we are guilty. Now, Peter offers an appeal. He appeals to them. Turn to the risen author of life that you may receive forgiveness and blessing. So let's look at the rest of these verses, 17 through 26. The appeal is, repent that you may be forgiven and blessed. Uh, Follow along with me in verses 17 and 18. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that is, Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. You acted in ignorance, though you should have known better from the scriptures. He says that they acted in ignorance. They did not fully understand the implications of what they were doing when they crucified Jesus. Now, that's not an excuse. They still need forgiveness. They may not have known all that was happening, all what, um, what they were doing meant, but they had plenty of means to know in the scriptures and in Christ's words and works. They should have known better. And yet, it was all part of God's plan. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't that the, the rescue diver showed up and, oh my, oh, I, I can't believe you did that. This was part of the plan. It had been prophesied over centuries. Christ fulfilled the predictions, the pattern of all the prophets, like we were reading in Isaiah 53. All hope, however, in enjoying the messianic restoration had been forfeited because of the rejection of God's Messiah. No one, Jews or Gentiles, deserve to be a part of God's blessing. Because we rejected the Messiah. However, God was still at work. Let's read verses 19 through 21. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God, by the mouth of his holy prophets, spoke long ago. Repent for forgiveness and refreshing. He calls them then to repent and turn to Christ. There must be a change of attitude towards Christ, and there must be a change of attitude towards who I myself am. I must turn from my sinful rebellion against Christ and from trusting in myself to trusting in Christ. Repentance and turning, repentance and faith are one action, are one truth when we are, are, when the Holy Spirit reaches us and we turn from our rebellion and we turn to Christ in faith. He gives three encouragements towards this repentance. Verse 19, repent that your sins may be blotted out. What a beautiful phrase. Repent that your sins may be blotted out. Every time I'm up here, actually, it's like almost every time I talk to my brother, I found out, I, I learned something new. And I, I told um, Pastor Stephen he should start a YouTube channel, Life Hacks by Pastor Stephen. Um, I, I learned a new one this week. 
which we were doing the word partners down below, and, um, and we had several whiteboards out. And, and there was one of the whiteboards was, had some, um, it was stained, I guess, right? I mean, it had some dried um, marker. I think it was even permanent marker on it. And, and when I, and I looked at Stephen, he was getting it ready for us to use in the next session. And he had another marker, and he was scribbling over those stains. I'm like, well, what's that about? What are you doing? He's, and he explained to me, said, if you have a dried permanent marker on an, a whiteboard and you blot it out, with another pen that will loosen up what's behind it and it can all be cleaned. Obviously, I used a fresh one here, but, and it worked. I'm like, that's amazing. <laughs> but think about it. Our sins and the most horrendous sin in the history of mankind murdering the author of life which was on our account rejecting God condemned to eternity in hell because of our wickedness but Christ, but God the Father doesn't just leave us there he raised him from the dead and through God the Son offers forgiveness, that our sins may be totally blotted out by his crimson blood shed on the cross. Because of his resurrection, confirmed, glorified as our Redeemer. Brothers and sisters, friends, what sin is there in your life that is more horrendous than crucifying the author of life. And if even that sin is blotted out by turning to Christ in faith, what else, what other sin would not be forgiven? That's why we have hope. That is the appeal. Yes, it is true. We are wicked sinners and deserve condemnation. But it is true that this was part of God's plan to offer forgiveness, that our sins may be blotted out. If you go back to Isaiah 53 again, the middle verses that we skipped over, verses four and five, and you can read the whole chapter later. Verses four and five in Isaiah 53 say, surely he has borne our grief and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. Verse 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. His death on the cross was in our place, was our substitution that he took on himself our sin. He was made sin for us that his death 
his punishment, his chastisement would be for us and now his righteousness by his resurrection, his holiness is rendered to our account by faith. Repent that your sins may be blotted out. Verse 20, repent that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Once our sins are blotted out, once we are in Christ, we are saved by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, we have turned from rejecting Christ and, but, and turning to him in faith. Now, we begin to feel and enjoy the times of refreshing that come from the Lord. In Christ, we enjoy the relief of so many things in our Christian walk. About a month ago, I was up in the state, uh, Brazilian state of Piauí, which is a very arid, hot desert region. Um, we were also doing a uh, Preach the Word, Word Partners training up there, also doing Ephesians like we did this week, and then another group in 2 Timothy. And it was in like the mid-90s, I think it was, most of the time. I mean, it just uh, horrible. And part of the time, we were, I had to travel uh, about 10 hours in a car um, through the desert, basically, and the air conditioning broke down. So we gave a new name to that car. We called it the air fryer. Because that's what it felt like. If you want to know what buffalo wings feel like in the air fryer, that was it. But after a, a first part of a trip, and when finally we're able to get the, the car working again, stepping into nice, air-conditioned, breezy car, it was like, especially if you have a cold glass of water. And we're into the fall. This is, I'm, I'm cold up here now. So this is not the right time to talk about summer. But you know what it's like. You know what the heat, you know what the, uh, um, the, the, the horrible, uh, um, the struggle when it just, be, the sun is beating down on your head. And when you have a nice cold glass, when you have refreshing what he is saying is we are, have refreshing from God's judgment. We are no longer under his judgment. He refreshes our souls. In Christ, we enjoy the relief of forgiveness. We enjoy the joy of being adopted as God's children. The riches of God's grace pouring out through every spiritual blessing. Ephesians 1.3. Overflowing comfort from God, the God of all comfort. 2 Corinthians 1. We live now already experiencing the love, the refreshment of having Christ, his Holy Spirit, as we gather together in fellowship, as he transforms our lives and families, as we grow in Christ, and as we await the final glory when Christ returns. Repent, verses 20 and 21 that God may send the Christ appointed for us. God will send Christ again at the time appointed to restore all things and fulfill the prophets. There will be a new heavens and a new earth. We have a new goal. We have a new finishing line when Christ returns to take us home. Repentance. Turning from our wickedness to God, 
to Christ. As we grow in dealing with our sin day after day, remembering that we have been forgiven, our sin is blotted out. And as we grow in Christ in maturity, we look forward to the day when this will all, this struggle against sin will be over. Let's read verses 22 through 24. Moses said, as he talks about these holy prophets long ago, he's going to, give us, going to give us an example. Moses said, verse 22, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. Peter gives them another warning. Listen to Christ. The warning to listen to Christ is confirmed by Moses and the prophets. All the prophets of the Old Testament confirm this. And he gives one main example. Uh, he's referring back to Deuteronomy 18, and you can read it later, where Moses says, listen, after me, God will raise up another prophet, a great prophet. You had asked for a mediator, someone to stand between you and God, because at Mount Sinai, when God spoke to you through thunder and 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 flames and an earthquake. You said, we can't take this. We need someone to be between us. And so Moses was the mediator. But he was only an example of a greater mediator, a greater prophet. And Moses himself prophesied, one day God will send him. Listen to him. If you do not, even though you are part of the nation of Israel, you will be cut off from the people. And so Peter is reminding them, listen, the prophet has come. He is this greater prophet. He is the greater son of David. He is the greater high priest. Jesus Christ has come. God the Father has confirmed this through his resurrection. Listen to him. Because if you do not, there is no other way. There is no salvation. Listen to Jesus Repent, the kingdom of heaven is near, Jesus said. Listen to Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Listen to Jesus. Come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Listen to Jesus. Go and make disciples of all nations. I will be with you always. The whole New Testament are the words of Jesus through his apostles written down for us, teaching us who Jesus is, what it means that he came, and what are the um, implications now for our lives as a church, as his people. Rejecting the great prophet, Jesus, the Son of God, results in destruction. They had rejected him. Being a part of Israel was not enough. They had to trust in their Messiah, if not, they would be cut off from the nation and its promised blessings. You know what? Many times we have the same issue among us. Many of us here were raised in the church. And just like being raised a Jew was not enough if you rejected the Messiah, being raised in the church is not enough if you reject Jesus. May we as parents who are raising our children here Remember that we need to speak this message to them. 
my son, my daughter, you need Jesus because you are a sinner. You need to repent and trust in him. Those of us who have maybe played church for so long, we need to repent and trust in Jesus. You need to listen to him, to trust in him as the Messiah, or else there is no salvation. Verses 25 and 26, Peter wraps up his sermon saying, You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Therefore, Peter says, be blessed by turning away from your wickedness. He says in verse 25, you are the sons or the heirs of both the prophets and the covenant. The prophesied promises are available in Christ. The prophets were sent to you to prepare for them. Turn to Christ to receive those promised blessings. The covenant to Abraham also points to Christ. He is quoting here Genesis 12, 1 through 3, the Abrahamic covenant. When God called Abraham saying, I will bless you and through your descendant will all the families of the earth be blessed. This descendant is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is saying there to these Jews, you have the first privilege to receive God's blessings. You are the heirs of these truths, of these promises, of this covenant. And so now to you first, you have the first opportunity to turn to the Messiah. Trust in him. Repent of your wickedness. But he also includes us here. Because these promises are for all the families of the earth to be blessed. And as the rest of the book of Acts will show, the truth of the gospel will spread from the Jews to the Gentiles, to the ends of the earth, from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And one day, it reached you and me. God's great grace, instead of pouring out his wrath, he sent out his summons to repent and trust in him who had been rejected. All blessings are in Christ and in Christ alone. They may be blessed by turning from their wickedness to Christ. His blessing begins by turning every one of you from your wickedness. The blessing begins in God's work of redemption, even making them able to turn to God. He came to defeat sin. Even in our repentance, even to repent, we need Jesus. We need the work of his Holy Spirit. He must give us new life. Never forget the blessing of repentance at our conversion when we turn from sin to Christ and our, during our life constantly as we day after day remember that we are now in Christ and so we must say no to sin as we study this week in Ephesians putting off our old na um, nature, our old man because now we are created in Christ having a new man 
renewing our minds, remembering that now we are free in Christ. We have the blessings of eternal life. We have the blessings of sonship. We have the blessings of forgiveness, the blessings of being cleansed from sin, the blessings of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Those boys in that cave in Thailand had to turn towards the rescue divers, the only appointed means of them being saved. The only way of being free of the cave and back with their families, and it had to be done for them. Turn to the risen author of life that you may receive forgiveness and blessing. My friend, maybe you're here this morning and you have never trusted in Christ as your Savior. You have never turned to Christ. This morning, this message from Peter is to you. Today is your opportunity, is the appeal for you to understand the truth of your sin, repent, and turn to Christ in faith. To those of us, I believe probably the great majority that are believers already, we have already, we have accepted Christ as our Savior, we have put our faith and trust in Him. The Christian life is a life of remembering or the Holy Spirit showing us areas of our life that are still, there's still sin remaining. Repenting of that sin and looking to Christ's forgiveness and refreshing. The fall introduced sin, evil, violence, abuse, shattered relationships, sickness, suffering, death, scattered nations, separation for God's, from God's presence and blessing. But the healing of this lame beggar was just a small taste for them to see the glorious future of full restoration that is in Christ. There is refreshing and blessing in Christ. We already see this restoration beginning to happen in our own lives, in our church, because of Christ. Marriages where husband and wife faithfully love each other. Parent-child relationships of love, obedience, and honor. Churches where people of all backgrounds live in fellowship. People generously giving of their own resources to help a brother in need. People responding graciously and patiently to suffering, sickness, and death. When Christ transforms us, these changes, these restoration, these refreshing that we see as Christ works out the gospel in our own lives, they serve as miracles that the world can watch and proof of the power of Christ to restore what was broken by the fall. Our lives will be used by God as a church for people to come running and see what's going on. What's different? How does that, wait a minute, how do you have a family that actually loves each other? And when they do, we don't point to our power or our piety, we point to Jesus. And when we share the gospel, we need to share the full gospel, pointing to the reality of our rebellion against God and the hope that is only in Christ. We can't just be friends. 
We can't merely attract people to the gospel. We do need to speak up. Um, there's a book called Honest Evangelism by Rico Tice, uh, a pastor in London. And uh, I really appreciate the way he, he says, and many times we just think we, sharing the gospel is living godly lives and people will be attracted and that's enough. And people come to church and maybe they'll hear something. He said, no, just like what Peter and John did, every time we share the gospel, there is what he calls a pain line, a pain line. There is a place in that relationship, in that friendship, be it in your family or in your work or, or at school or in your neighborhood, there is a point where you have to cross over the line and share the hard truths of the gospel. Sin, a bloody cross, resurrection, repentance and faith. Many times we just keep beating around the bush and, and we're good friends, and we're hoping someday maybe they'll ask us of what, the, what is the gospel. We're hoping that maybe someday somebody will say something, and, and then they'll get an idea. Or if they ask, we'll, we'll talk about Jesus, and we'll talk about his love, and, and, and all true, but we'll never come down to the reality that you are condemned. You're a sinner. You need Jesus to save you from your sin. Because once you get into that and you cross over that pain line, you may be rejected. And your relationship after that will never be the same again. And so many times we do not want to lose those friendships. And then it becomes more about us than about Jesus. Brothers and sisters, this is hard. This is hard for me. This was hard for Peter and John. We're going to see the rest of the story what happened after they crossed that pain line. Our lives and our words must proclaim the message. Turn to the risen author of life that you may receive forgiveness and blessing.